Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Seaport. Uh, If you are in the narthex, make your way into the sanctuary. We're going to get ready for worship. If you're in here with us, please stand with me, and we will pray uh, before worship. All the words will be up on the screen behind me. Let's ready our hearts and our minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Even though it's so cold out, Lord, we know there's, there's a warmth, there's a fire, there's a flame with you. God, we know uh, that you can comfort us. And, and we've come here together because of your grace, because of your will, because you've allowed us to have this fellowship with each other and with you. So we, we acknowledge that, God, and we acknowledge you this morning. We say thank you. Thank you so, so much, Lord. Father, as we, as we worship and we lift our voices in praise, we ask that you would, um, that you would speak to our hearts and that you'd speak to our, our minds. Help us to cast our cares upon you, Lord, as we worship you. Help us to focus on you and you alone. Help us to, to really just embrace you in all that you've done, all of, of who you are in your goodness. We're so grateful, God, that, that we can know you through your son, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you so much. May your will be accomplished this morning. May your glory and your power be present among us in this sanctuary, in all the classrooms, uh, in in all that is prepared. We love you and we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let us worship.
Oh 
That song takes us right into the very courtroom, throne room of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. It's a powerful, if you read those chapters, you see the angels and the elders. It doesn't say they took their crowns and laid them at his feet. They cast them like they were worthless in front of him. Think of that. And John, who walked so closely with Jesus and who received the revelation on the island of Patmos, helps us to see that God is holy and worthy, especially when chapters 6 through 19 unfold. He is holy in all that he does. He is righteous and worthy to be praised in all that he does. Amen? For all things were created by him and by his power they are held together. We take a moment, Lord, and we express our gratitude and our worship to you who is worthy. Come on, lift up your voices. We thank you. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. God, even when things are taking place in our lives that we don't understand and wish weren't happening, we look at you and we say, you're still worthy of praise. You're worthy of glory. Your great will will be accomplished. Your purpose is achieved. Even when it seems remote, we look to you and we thank you. You're so worthy. Everything that you do is holy and righteous and good and worthy. Thank you, Father. Worthy. Just say that word with me. Worthy. 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 Remain standing with me for just another moment, please. This is a church that's committed to advancing the kingdom around the world, and we support missionaries. And if you go out here and to the right, you'll see a wall with lots of missionaries. And Missionary 44, that was just actually when... Bob Holloway was with us Wednesday night. And if, you're, if you don't come on Wednesday night, one of the things that you miss is, is seeing our missionaries. That's when they typically will come. But Bob Holloway from Peru. Bob ministers very close to Machu Picchu. And to the, the Cusco Indians that inhabit that area. And uh, he ministers to them. He's a career missionary, army vet. It was just great to spend some time with him. But, but this church, the board just, you know, elected to support him at $100 a month. We'll be sending him a cash offering too. 
That's one of the things that happens around here. So now we're $4,000 a month goes out of here around the world. $4,000 a month. And that's just growing. That's growing. Actually, the budget, the budget this year is projected to go from $4,000 to $8,000 a month for missions. Lord, we thank you for Bob and Lisa Holloway. They are truly amazing missionaries in what they're doing. And God, we so love the story that they told of the <laughs> God of the, the stripper joint turned into a place of redemption. What a great story. And God, what a great opportunity and a great privilege it is for us to invest money in something like what Bob is doing and teaching the people there. And God, I just pray that you'd encourage them, that you'd strengthen them. Their, their challenges are many. But God, just encourage them and strengthen them. And Lord, help us to be faithful to support them. And God, and many more that will come. Many more that will come. Thanks, Lord, for the privilege of supporting missions. It's an honor. And we thank you, Father. Amen, friends. Amen. God bless you guys as you're seated. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're part of a missions-minded church? Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm Pastor Brad. If I haven't met you, I look forward to meeting you. We'll have newcomers in a little bit here. Maybe I'll have a chance to meet you, to meet you there. But um, there's, there's a lot happening when it comes to missions around Seaport, and we'll be telling you more about that. And uh, so I encourage you. Uh, if you don't give to missions, I encourage you. Uh, I, I encourage everybody to be a one percenter. Give one percent. Give your tithe ten percent. Give one percent above that to missions. I doubt you'll ever miss it. And uh, I've done that. Actually, I give more than one percent because I believe in missions. And uh, you know what? And so you know what? I believe in it. And uh, I see it. I sit with these missionaries and I hear their stories, and I know them and what they do. And, they, and there are so many great things they tell you, but there's a lot of things they don't tell you. And so pray for our missionaries. Amen? Amen. You go buy that. When you go buy that wall out there, maybe just stop and find a missionary. Maybe you don't even know. And just pause for a moment and pray for them. Amen? Amen. 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 Pastor Chris. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Chris, and I just want to welcome you to church this morning. If this is your first time here, we just want to honor you. And we do that around here by clapping for you. So Welcome. <laughs> But of course, we don't want to just clap for you. We're a family. We want to truly connect with you. And the easiest way for us to do that is for you to text the word welcome to the number that comes up on the screen. A small link will come back to you. It just takes a few seconds to fill it out. And then once you do, just like that, shabam, we are connected. We're also available on Facebook, on Instagram. We even have a TikTok page. Or if you want to just email the office staff, it's office at seaportcommunitychurch.org. And then Pastor Brad always tries to meet with people after service in the Narthex. But today is actually a very special day because we have our newcomers reception today. And if you're not sure what that is, it's a we have some light refreshments. Pastor Brad will be out there to talk to you about the church and all the different happenings that we have around here. So make sure you guys join us for that in just a few minutes when we have an opportunity to go out to that. But we also have some other awesome opportunities. If you guys haven't figured this out,
out yet. We are a praying church. We love to pray. It's an important part of our day. It's an important part of our week. And so there's opportunities for everybody to pray. We have them in the evening. We have them in the morning, online, here in the building. So make sure you guys are taking an opportunity to join us for one of these prayer meetings. Uh, This Tuesday, the men are going to be meeting here for our men's ministry. That's on February 20th at 6 p.m. We're going to continue our growth track this Wednesday. The The Daisy Prims Rally is happening on March 16th. So make sure you guys are marking your calendar for that. Jen, now that's those of us that are in the 30 to 50 still young age group. We are meeting for a game night, which doesn't make us sound too young, I don't think. But that's on March 8th. And then there is a last chance to sign up to pre-order our 2024 Seaport, Seaport merchandise. So make sure you're signing up for that. And then there is a new Zoom link. It's linked on the connection page and on the events page and everywhere else. And if you haven't, you know, if you don't have access to our connection page, make sure you guys are hitting that seat back behind you. There's a QR code. It'll take you to a landing page, and you can get our, all of our different apps there. All right. Well, next up, we got Pastor Brad. Fast. I didn't have to give me a chance to sit down and catch my breath, but <laughs> anyway. It's good. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that very, very much. Thursday night was our annual church business meeting. Uh, this church has formal membership. Uh, and so and, and part of what we do there is um, as we uh, elect new deacons on a rotating, staggered basis. And so I want to I'm going to I'm going to ask. We have four deacons that serve uh, and help to minister and represent and care for you and they serve in a variety of ways. Uh, but first of all, let me just simply say thank you to uh, to Matt Strand and, and to Jessica McGargle, who both served well and and uh, elected to step off this time. And so, would you just join with me in giving them a round of applause of appreciation for all that they've done? Amen. Amen. Served this church so effectively, and we and we really really appreciate it. And so now, but I, I want to introduce now, obviously, Melissa, didn't, Melissa Miles did not come up for re-election, she, and uh, she is continuing to serve. She's, she told me that she'll be watching online from Florida, where she is. Everybody cry for Melissa, who's in Florida. Um, but uh, listen, to it. but anyway, uh, Andy was re-elected, and there are two new deacons that were elected by, uh, by the membership, and I'm going to ask both Ed Delane and Virgin Pertini if they would come up here. And if Andy's in here, Andy was kind of split duty with uh, the kids, and so just come on up here if you would, please. And um, so uh, Andy was, you know, Andy, he's he was real, he was reelected serving with the kids. Ed has served before, Virgin has not, and so uh, they're stepping into an important role. Uh, I'm, I'm glad due to a recent job change, Ed is no longer traveling every week. He's home. And that's a, that's a good thing. 13 years of flying every week. That gets a little old uh, for him and for Julie and Chad. And so it's great. But, uh, you know, we, we, uh, Ed has been very, very involved in project management and all kinds of things from nuclear power plants and Shanghai, China, to nuclear enrichment in Kentucky and Tennessee and down there, all kinds of different things. And uh, so, uh, and Virgin, the branch manager for Charter Oak. And so uh, we thank God for the caliber of people that uh, are, are able to serve, along with Andy and Melissa and myself. 
So let's take a moment and let's just, if you guys would just step up here and let's just really pray for them. Um, that God will just use them powerfully and effectively. Uh, the Board of Deacons, uh, they, they deal with anything from uh, careful financial management to uh, uh, sometimes just, okay, should we do this? Should we go this direction? Uh, should we do this? Should the church buy this? Should we, should we move forward here? And sometimes to pr- some profoundly difficult uh, situations around here. They deal with all of that. And uh, so it's, it's not an easy role. Stand with me for just another minute, and uh, you'll be seated for a while. But let's, let's just take a moment, and let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much. I thank you, for, I thank you for Jessica, and I thank you for Matt, who served so effectively and blessed this church, God, with uh, all that they, they did those years. And God, we thank you for that. And God, we thank you for Melissa and Lord, how, how effectively she has served this church as a deacon many times and over many years. And we're grateful for that. And Andy, as he continues to serve, thank you for all these people who give and have given so much to make Seaport stronger, healthier, more effective. And now, Lord, as Ed steps back on and Virgin steps on, Lord, uh, I just pray that there be just the continued cohesiveness and unity of heart and mind on our board. Lord, the only, the only agenda that ever matters in our meetings is yours. That's the only one. And we seek that above all else. And give them wisdom, give them grace, give them strength. I know their heart. Their heart is to serve you and to advance your kingdom here. That's their heart. And so, Lord, may they do that and do that well. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, God, it's been said the pastors are a gift to the church and deacons are a gift to the pastor. And God, may that be truly so. We trust you in Jesus' name. Use them wonderfully these next two years and beyond. Thanks, Father. Amen. 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 Give them a round of applause. Congratulations. Congratulations. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, friends. Thanks so much. Chad approves. Was that, a, was that a vote of approval, Chad? Okay, well, that's what we'll take it as. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've known Chad since he was a little boy, so uh, he and I go way back, I guess. Anyway, hallelujah. Um, you know what? We've been working on some different things. Maybe you've seen this on our public page, but I just want to play it for you. And so let's just, this is a little video that Lindsay made and starring Nathaniel. And so let's, this is just a real quick video. Let's just watch. You'll see it on our, on our page, on our public page. I personally attend Seaport um, because I felt like the Lord was telling me to go to a place where I could spiritual life. So if you're personally thinking about going to Seaport, I scripted that for him. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, thanks, Nathan. That was, you, you could tell, that was just kind of impromptu, and that's how we wanted it. So we may, we'll probably be doing more like that, and so uh, be, be thinking about that, because we want to put those out there. And if you haven't been to Seaport's public page, Seaport Community Church, our public page, uh, go to that and just, do me a favor, and just like Nathaniel's video, Okay. 
And that would, that would, be, that would be great to do, to do that. Hallelujah. So we're going to, uh, we're going to just going to move into another form of worship, and that's giving. Amen? That's worship, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's worship. I mean, you know, many of you, how many of you have got the book, The Treasure Principle? How many of you have gotten that book? We still have a few copies. They're free. You can go out there and get them. Now, in chapter 3, it talks about, you know, one of the reasons why we give in The Treasure Principle, it says one of the reasons that we give is that it continually reminds us that our treasure is in heaven, that we don't live for this earth, but that we're investing in an eternal kingdom with eternal value. Amen? All the stuff that you and I now possess will be gone one day. Just gone. But what we invest in heaven remains forever. Amen? So that work, those tithes, those offerings, those missions offerings, those are eternal. And they, every time we give, we're reminded that our treasure is not on earth. We're not living for this life. We're living for the one to come. Amen? Amen. That's what we're doing. That's, so that's, it's a good reminder to us every time we give that that is what, I mean, we're doing. And I mean, it's interesting here. The Lord told me to do this. I did not. And I'm, I'm doing this really kind of against my will. But the Lord wanted me to, to just show you. Because we don't have anything to hide around here. This is our budget. You'll see that. We've fallen behind in our general fund. But we're $3 ahead in our missions fund. Isn't that amazing? $3. <laughs> That's so funny. When I saw that this morning, I was like, wow, that's kind of funny. $3. But um, anyway, when it comes in, it goes out to missions. Amen? And so you'll be hearing more about that. So let's, um, let's just trust the Lord. There's lots of ways to give. You can see that. But I'm going to go ahead and pray right now. And uh, you, there's ways you can give. You can see that. And if you're brand new around here, there's no pressure to give, really. But let me pray, and I'm going to pray as I have been praying, and that uh, God would just continue to bless all of you uh, financially, and of course, in every other way. Okay, that should go without saying a hope. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we, come with, we really come with humble hearts, and we, we just, and I pray in agreement with how you've taught me and told me to pray. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you'll help every single one of us just to generously give, to advance your kingdom. Lord, every single one of us has a need uh, for wisdom and how we steward and how we manage really your funds. May we do that with wisdom and insight and, and skill and discipline. Lord, I, I do pray that the doors of opportunity would open to all of us to advance ourselves financially. God, not so that we can buy more stuff, but that God, so that we can advance your kingdom and, and God, see your work grow and, and see, God, eternal values achieved. We just trust you. We trust you for that, Lord. God, money can be, a, can be a hazardous thing to us. Protect us from the love of money. Protect us from the power of greed. God, protect us from, from the deception that can come from money. Lord, and all the things that can, that can happen because of that. God, may, may our hearts, when you bless us and you prosper us, may our hearts never stray from you. We trust you for that. God, we don't ever want that to happen. So help us to manage things well right now and never let our hearts stray. But I would pray, God, I would pray for those who are struggling right now. God, maybe inflation has ravaged them, maybe... Uh, 
rapidly increased rents and housing costs and other kinds of things, Lord, have, or lack of job or inadequate jobs have put them into a dire place. I'm trusting you, God, for your divine help. And God, if, it's, if the need is to be met through one of us or through this church, God, may it be done for the glory and the honor of your great name. We pray that, God, by the end of this year, you said to me, no one at Seaport would be in need. And I'm expecting that that's going to be the case. No one will be in need. We trust you for this, Lord. It's not a big deal. It's easy for you. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen, friends? Amen and amen. You see the ways up there to give? And uh, please do. And let's let's just see what God has for for all of us. Amen? So right now what we're going to do, we're going to release two different groups. We're going to release the middle schoolers. Uh, They're going to head off to the fellowship hall. And then... If you are brand new around here, maybe today's your first Sunday or you've been here a few weeks, uh, I would encourage you, either, you can go right out the back door and then down the hallway or you can go right across and we're going to go into the fireplace room which is directly across the hall from that, um, out that door. Adam is going to come right now and continue the series, Unstoppable, through the book of Acts. And boy, does he have a hot topic today. Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, you know, I like to say to people, remember, that's the, old, that's the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament. Ananias and Sapphira. It's an important message, Adam. Morning, church. If we were doing a bingo card as to who got which sermons, I think everybody knew this one was going to be mine. This would be the free space. And I'll be back for uh, Stephen. <laughs> so, I just want you to know I don't ask for these. That's not true. Sometimes I do. So, some people like a big tent. My guess is the boys who are going on the, and men that are going on the winter powwow probably want a small tent because it's going to be cold. The Bible tells us body heat is good for keeping us warm. I personally don't like a big tent either because movements tend to lose their meaning the more people that get added to them. The more people that identify with a particular movement the less it really means. And when I'm talking about tent and the size of a tent, I'm talking about the kind of range of acceptable belief within a certain group. You hear about maybe big tent conservatism, that we're, we're willing to argue with people within the conservative movement. You don't necessarily have to be pro-life to be a conservative, or, or maybe you don't have to necessarily be against gay marriage to be a conservative. Christianity has the same thing. We have our range of orthodoxy. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, they baptize babies. They're still in the tent. We, you know, we have a range of different eschatological viewpoints, post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial. All those viewpoints still sit 
and fit in that tent. But the larger the tent gets, the harder it is to maintain a unity of love and conviction. Do you know that from the 70s to the 1990s, about 90% of Americans said they were Christian of some kind? How many of those 90% do you think could give you a simple explanation of the gospel? How many of them went to church every Sunday? How many of those 90% do you think believed in the little, literal bodily resurrection of Jesus? Numbers say nowadays it's about 60% of Americans identify as some type of Christian. Good. Keep the fakes and the false believers out. Keep the tent small and keep security at the door as far as I'm concerned. Now, don't get me wrong. Anybody can have a visitor's pass. Come on in. You are welcome to the gospel here. I will certainly give it to you. But not everybody gets to be a member. See, to be a Christ follower means that we follow Christ in heart, mind, soul, word, and deed. Being a Christian is not something that you just get to declare without the action to back it up. Jesus said, if you follow him and obey his commands, the world is going to hate you. He likened that hatred to a cross that we would bear for our lives. But for some reason, the fakes, the manipulators, they still come. For some reason, we don't take Christ's warning seriously. There are quote-unquote churches all over this country that have strayed so far away from biblical Christianity so as not to offend the world around them that the Jesus that they claim to serve will not recognize him, them upon his return. And I don't understand why they bother. They got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning than come and pretend. And some people do it for nefarious purposes. Some people get into a church and they try to steer it hard left as soon as they get in. Some people create factions within churches. Some people go into ministry for themselves and they do it all sorts of different ways. They may use their donation money as a way to get in. They may go into ministry for themselves in order to increase their power and their influence. And if 
you're in a church where numbers matter more than what God says. And you have a pastor who doesn't want to rock the boat by doing church discipline. Well, then these people will be successful. God is looking for a church that is filled with people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, who will live lives as holy sacrifice to Him. Amen. We need shepherds who are vigilant to kill wolves by confronting those who would enter the church and deceive and manipulate those within it. Because if we don't have shepherds that do that, well, then the sheep are devoured and any move of God gets halted. Let's open those Bibles that I'm sure you brought with you this morning. We're going to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to see what it looks like when the sin of manipulating a church is met with the proper response from the pastor and what happens afterwards. So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself uh, part of the proceeds of your land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you, you have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all those who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out. And buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold this land for so much? And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came and they found her dead, they carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together at Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 
so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that Peter came by and at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people who gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So yes, God still judges people and puts them to death in New Testament times. And as Pastor Brad said, there is this kind of misconception that the Old Testament God was far too wrathful, that he was cranky, and was always putting people to death. But then Jesus came along, and he reformed his father, and he's far too nice for such things. False. God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, Old Testament, New Testament. This should be, we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for God's unchanging nature because having a God that never changes his mind means that he will never change his mind about us. This kind of judgment, it shouldn't make us cower. No, it should give us a clean, a clean fear of the Lord that leads to knowledge and wisdom. But truth be told, I don't think that the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira is really the thrust of this passage. It speaks more to our discernment. It speaks more to our willingness to separate from the world and cling to God. And there's three basic kind of sections to this passage that I want to go through, piece, and I want to go through it piece by piece. Verses 1 and 2 is the uh, hatching and the execution of the plan of Ananias and Sapphira, their deception. And then we have Peter's rebuke and God's judgment in verses 3 through 10. And then the fallout and the result of this in verses 11 through 16. So back to the beginning, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So as Pastor Brad talked about last week, the the people that were coming into the church, many of them were selling their land and giving all of the proceeds of their land to the church or using the land that they had for the benefit of those who were in the church. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be counted among those who gave all they had but didn't want to actually give all they had. Now we're not told exactly what their motivations were but we know that they were not required to give the entirety of their land. They were not required to give the proceeds of all of their land. We know this from what Peter says in verse 4. And we know that their motivations were sinister. And we know this because of what Peter says in verse 3. What this amounts to is corrupt 
worship to the God of power, the God of influence, of popularity, and the praise of men. All false gods, all idols of every age. And let's, let's be real. Money never comes without strings attached to it. It is a very, very rare individual who can give a large gift and expect nothing in return. And even if it's not a quid pro quo situation, even if there is nothing stated when the gift is originally given, well, think about our own hearts. What if we did this? If we gave at a substantial gift to the church, and we did it at the time with the best of intentions, and then later, maybe months, maybe even a year later, we decided, hey, oh, I found this really great program, and I want to have this program implemented within the church. And we were swiftly turned down for whatever reason. Where does your heart go? Where does your mind go when that happens? We need to keep, a, we need to keep an eye on that. Ananias and Sapphira saw themselves as shareholders within the church. And if they could get outsized influence for the amount that they actually gave, well, then all the better. And we know, we know that this is the case in other places, right? We know that politicians can be bought and sold for, uh, uh, by large donors, lobbyists. We're well aware of that. The temptation exists in the church, too. To maybe let the large donors slide on some, on some sin that we see, because we need it. especially a church like the early church. They're having explosive growth. They're seeing thousands come to them like week after week. They need money. They need land. They need something to keep all of these people in and to take care of them. This is a real, this is a real issue. And don't get me wrong. The lesson here is not give less. Okay? Generosity is no sin. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But what we need is to keep an eye on our heart when we give. We need to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Turn there. This is, this is a, this is, we, we know this passage, but I think it's important, and I think it fits in very well. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Beware of practicing... uh, Hang on, verse (laughs) 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, 
Sound no trumpet before you, as those hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is how we guard against the sin of giving in order to elevate ourselves. We keep quiet about it and then forget that we did it. Let the Lord bless you as he wills. But don't expect blessing simply for doing what the Lord has told us that we should do, which is to bless his people, be generous to his people and to his church in the support of his work to steward his creation. Again, the imperative is not to be stingy, but to be honor, uh, honest and God-honoring with our giving. So when Ananias and Sapphira lie to put themselves on a higher tier than others, Peter does what any pastor worth his salt would do. He confronts them. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now this is a serious accusation. This is, this is the same sort of language that John uh, uses for, for Judas before he goes and betrays Jesus. Peter also knew a thing or two about being called Satan because Jesus did it to him once. So he understands how big a deal it is to bring this sort of accusation and Peter says that the evil of the lie that Ananias is trying to portray here is it's not to do with whether he's lying to the church, but the fact that he's lying to God. See, the church is going to receive the money that he gives no matter what, and it's going to be helpful despite the percentage. But the lie amounts to false worship. In the eyes of God. It's, it's the kind of sin that Isaiah saw, talks about in Isaiah 29. The kind of sin that makes us believe that God can't actually see us when we do things that are against his will. The kind of sin that makes us believe that God is impotent to judge us when we do such things. It says, because people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, who say, who sees us? Who knows us? This is the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. They pay lip service to God by paying, by, by giving to his church, but their hearts draw near to power and influence. 
They commit high-handed sin against God. They diminish who he is because they don't believe he can see what it is that they're doing in their hearts. But Peter then shows Ananias the folly of his sin. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? See, people like to use the previous passage uh, to talk about how the early church was communist. I don't know if you know me too well. There are a few things that I hate more than commies. It is a demonic system. There's no other way to say it. That is a scheme that was born in hell. So this is not proto-communism. This, Peter says, it was yours. Even after you sold it, it was yours. Nobody told you you had to give all of the money. Nobody told you you were going to get anything if you gave 100%. Nobody forced your hand to give us all of this. This should have been a free will offering to the glory of God and nothing else. So why is it you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. So Peter reiterates here that the concern is not for the amount that the church is receiving, but the false worship in their hearts. Now this shrinks the tent because you don't get to just call yourself a Christian because you show up and you give. That's not what makes a Christian. Your worship to the one and only true God, the worship that you do in this church and outside of the church, that the following of Christ is what makes you a Christian. You don't, our giving it is an overflow of our worship. It's not a replacement for our worship. And God is jealous for our worship because he is the only one that deserves it. He is the only one that is worthy of all of our worship. People get twisted around about God's jealousy. And I, I think we need to understand it rightly. If you have something, it is rightly yours. And somebody else tries to take it or you give it away to somebody else. It's all right to be jealous. Husbands, we love our wives. We ought to be jealous 
for our wives. We ought to be jealous for their affections. We don't want their affections going to anyone else. And if somebody comes and they try to give it to someone else, or if someone else comes in and tries to take it, we ought to be jealous for that. We are, that is a righteous jealousy to have. God's jealousy is then, therefore, how much more righteous in that. He is the only one that deserves the worship. He created us to worship Him. It is His. He can be jealous for it. It's also interesting to notice here that Peter uses the word, uh, the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. It already starts to show that, that, that Peter understood that the Holy Spirit was 100% God and being part of the Trinity. Just a little bit of extra theological stuff for you there. <laughs> um, so when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard of it. This fear should be expected. I mean, it undoubtedly caused a great deal of conviction in the community, especially with the explanation of the sin being one that is of spiritual nature and not just against one's fellow man. It ought to bring to mind our own treatment of worship. Are we glorifying God and singing his praise? Or are we just singing along to nice pop songs that we like? Are we praying to rile up those within earshot? Or are we seeking God's help and his comfort? Are we reading the Bible just to check the box, to get some knowledge, to win some arguments on Facebook? Or are we seeking God's plan and his wisdom? Are we just eating the bread and drinking the wine and not cleansing our hearts and realizing what it means. Paul told the Corinthian church that this, princi this principle of true worship in communion applied to them as well. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talking to the Corinthian church, again, a fairly well-known passage for us. But again, I think it applies here well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks the judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have died. 
If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Ananias and Sapphira drank judgment on themselves with their false worship. And this is yet another example of God's judgment and his jealousy for our worship. But still, God is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He forgives sins and has mercy on the sinner, but by no means cleanses the slate of the guilty. So, Undoubtedly, this is a heinous act at a long life of heinous acts for Ananias and Sapphira. And in Peter's interaction with them, we see no clue of repentance. We have to understand, Ananias and Sapphira were poison in the well of the church. God is protecting his people here. He is protecting them from having their worship polluted by this, by filtering out this poison. This is God being a good shepherd. And again, for us, it, it, it still makes sense. It is right for this Fear to fall upon the church at Jerusalem. It is right for fear to be at the Corinthian church when people are dropping dead at the Lord's table because they are not cleansing their hearts and just being gluttons. Taking advantage of what's being given. But it should not make us Fear God in a craven way. We should not cower from God because these punishments are not arbitrary. These are people who are in league with Satan trying to infiltrate God's church. So yes, we can, we can feel, fear God for his terrible might and his ability to conjure just and righteous judgment. But we don't fear his judgment because those of us who are saved, we know him as a father who loves us dearly and who, as I mentioned before, who's idea of us, whose feelings towards us don't change. So we welcome his correction. We repent of our sins. We worship him with a full and a grateful heart for all that he has done. So now both sinners been confronted, died, have been buried. What happens as a result? 
what happens as a result of this event. Well, a great fear came upon the church and all who heard these things. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the apostles, but none of the rest dared to join them. But the people held them in high esteem. More than ever, believers were being added to the church, multitudes of both men and women. They carried the sick into the streets, and Peter came by so that his shadow might fall upon them. The people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, that they were healed. So the first result of this event is the fear of God ramping up. Perfect. Perfect. You can never have too much fear of the Lord. I would say the church in this country today is running at an extreme deficit of fear of God. We need to take seriously the things of God. We need to reflect it in the way that we live our lives, not simply in our rhetoric online or our quiet time. just for free. I think our quiet times should be a lot less quiet. Our quiet times should be filled with praise and glory to God. You ever praised God while reading Romans and just thought how wonderful your law and your word is? I have. I'm a little bit weird, but I have while sitting and eating a tuna sandwich at L&M Hospital. <laughs> Anytime. There's no reason that our quiet time needs be quiet. Especially because we're in a church full of Pentecostal people. We are supposed to be spirit-filled people. <laughs> Praise God all the time, wherever you go. That's right. Secondly, Speaking of Charismatics and Pentecostals, the signs and the wonders ramp up. The death of Ananias and Sapphira, as well as the healings and the exorcisms, all come by the mighty hand of God. He shows his mighty and terrible judgment, but also his power in his mercy and his grace to those who come to him. Now, the third thing that happens has the real possibility of throwing the church off the rails. If Peter and the other apostles were squishy in their doctrine and they were looking to please men more than God, this would have been a problem. Because it said, none of the rest joined them. The same thing happened to Jesus. If you look to John 6, you don't have to turn there. We've done enough flipping already. But if you look to John 6, when Jesus says you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, anyone that was on the peripheries of that ministry hightailed it. They took off. Jesus used hard teaching to get rid of fakes and pretenders. And here it is, God killing two pretenders. And you bet 
that anybody else that had a scheme in mind took off after that. See, but if the apostles feared men rather than God, if they were looking to be people pleasers, they would have covered this up. They would have said, no, they were sick. It was our, that was not God who judged them. They would have rebuked Peter publicly for what he said to them right before they died, and they would have taken away his position. And then after that, what they would have done is done a real big seeker-sensitive sermon series afterwards so that nobody else was afraid to join the church. By the way, the Bible says no one seeks for God. No one. There's no such thing as a seeker. So there's no reason for us to go and hand out watered-down milk to people because they don't have the necessary conviction. Give the gospel freely to everyone. Uncut, full, send, 100 proof. So the apostles didn't censure Peter for what he said or what he did. They followed him as he spoke the word of God boldly. They followed him as he followed Christ. And the snakes and the wolves stayed away because they saw God's power. Notice how those two things run in tandem with one another. The bold proclamation of the gospel and the power of God. But in the next sentence, or in the same sentence where it says, none of the rest joined them, it says that the people held the church in high esteem. You know why that is? Because people respect men with principles and the backbone to stand up for those principles when they're not popular. People don't respect churches that go along with the winds of culture and then sprinkle a little Jesus on top. They don't make any waves. Nobody cares what they have to say because they don't really have anything to say at all. They have no principles. It depends where the world is going. But if you have principles and you stick to them and you pull them from the word of God well, then they'll hate you for it. They'll hate you for what you believe. But if you're willing to stand up, if you're willing to stick by the word of God, well, then it makes you undeniable. Amen. And finally, true believers are added to the church after the chaff is burned away. And this proves to me the working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and the minds of those who truly believe in God. Think of what has happened. Think of Peter's ministry up to this point. Peter has preached at least two sermons where everyone in earshot, he told them, your sin killed the Son of God. Thousands saved. Hallelujah. 
after he's done preaching one of those sermons, Peter gets drug out of the temple in chains, enough to make anybody who is on the fence go, I'm not signing up for what that guy's selling. Thousands of people saved. Two parishioners drop dead in front of him right after he rebukes them for their sin. And it says, more than ever, people are brought to the Lord. Why do we compromise? Why do we sugarcoat things to, to, to deal with people's lack of conviction? I'm going to paraphrase a very famous line. I say, preach Jesus and let the Holy Spirit sort him out. Because you can't save anyone. God does it. Peter does everything wrong by the world's standards. Peter is less winsome than John the Baptist. Peter makes me look like a squish. I've had people walk out, but nobody's died yet. But God uses Peter to save more people than anyone else in history at this point. Yet we want to keep coming up with these plans and these schemes to get people in and, and, and to, to you know, make Jesus seem very appealing to them. When God says over and over to us, he says, tell them they're sinners and that they need me. Tell them my grace and my mercy is free and that they need it. See, that's the, that's the best part about the gospel. See, people think that if we tell people that they're sinners, that somehow we're condemning them. That is not true because I, like Paul, was, am the chief of sinners. I was the chief of sinners. God's grace was good enough for me. It's good enough for anybody. Amen. So by telling people that they're sinners, we're doing them a favor. As long as we follow it up with, turn from that sin and come to Christ. He'll give you the power to get over it, to get past it, to live a life in worship to Him. I didn't do that. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps to not be a sinner anymore. You need the Holy Spirit. And the world is going to come against you for it. So you need the Holy Spirit even more. This is not something we can do. This is something that God does and he gives it away for free. So the best thing that we can do for everybody out there is go give it to them too. And don't sugarcoat it. Just tell them. Tell them 
You're a sinner, and God loves you too much for you to remain that way. Because they will never know the true Jesus if they don't know their sin. Because if they don't know their sinners, then they don't know why they need him. And this shrinks the tent. It gives, gives a barrier for entry. But the numbers grow. And Jesus said this is how it's going to work. If you read the parable of the sower, if you read the parable of the weeds, you can see those things play out in the book of Acts. You can see it play out in the attendance here. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. <laughs> but we all know it happens. Some people come in and they're gung-ho. They are ready to go. They are warriors straight from the bat. And then... I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. They haven't answered my text. So some will fall away. But the church will still flourish, even amongst the strangling influence of the world. Can I get the band back, please? So what do we do? I'll give you a to-do list. Trust in God. Preach Jesus. Worship fully. Cleanse your hearts. Don't fear any shift in numbers. Because there's always a great pruning before greater growth. So, if we do what Scripture tells us, God provides the results. If we are patient in His timeline and we are diligent in our labors, then God will bless us with a truly great harvest. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this warning, God. Lord, we were all sinners. And you have, you have saved us. It is not a debt that we can repay or a debt that you ask us to repay. You gave it to us freely to show your goodness and your grace. God, I thank you for it. God, help us to learn the lessons that your word has given to us. Help us to live out these lessons in our own lives, in our own homes, and to worship you fully as we are here amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we will be throughout eternity in your presence. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
So are you here this morning and you're sitting on the peripheries of the ministry? You're showing up because you got to show up. But you don't know Jesus. If so, come. Can I get the ministry team as well, please? If you are, then come. Are you on the edges, but you haven't committed yet? Then come. Come. Let us show you who Jesus is. Come. Let us pray alongside you. Is your zeal and your reflection of the light of Christ, is it dimmer than it used to be? If that's you, then come. Come, be renewed with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So go forth and make more of his kingdom. Are you just checking the box this morning? You just hear. You only woke up when I yelled. If that's you, come. Come. No. Jesus fully know who he is come to know him as Lord and Savior not just another name in the book come see him as someone worth following worth standing on every word that he ever spoke come and if you're ready to go out and reflect his light to the world. Then Lord, let us be dismissed in your great grace. Thank you for another wonderful Sunday. Knit us together more as a community and help us to shine your light to those that we meet out in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Go, be blessed.